0: So, Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 4, and this is she speaking. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Friends, who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? She. Under the apple tree I aroused you. There your mother conceived you. There she who was in labour gave you birth. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, it's jealousy as unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. (coughs) Friends. We have a little sister and her breasts are not yet grown. What shall we do for our sister on the day she's spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build towers of silver on her. If she is a door, we will enclose her with panels of cedar. She, I am a wall and my breasts are like towers. Thus I've become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. Solomon had a vineyard in Baal, Haman he let out his vineyard to tenants. Each was to bring for its fruit a thousand shekels of silver, but my own vineyard is mine to give. The thousand shekels are for you, Solomon, and 200 are for those who tend its fruit. He, you who dwell in the gardens with friends in attendance, let me hear your voice. She, come away, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the spice laden mountains
1: thank you so much matt for reading that uh, we've been doing this whole uh, book of song of songs over this term and this is the last one so uh if you're tired of it it's the last one uh let me pray for us Lord thank you very much for this book which gives us such an amazing picture of the way that you love us and we pray today your spirit would open our eyes to see amazing things about Jesus and to walk out of here full of the confidence of how we are loved by him. We pray in his name. Amen. So one of the things I get to do every week is sit with our lovely church interns and we read and learn and we pray together. We do that once a week. In my head, this is what we look like uh, trendy and making important notes. And recently, some of the interns went to a conference where they were thinking about what to do with their future. So, interns spend a year or two years with us and then they go on to do something else. And one thing that they all said struck them that somebody said, and I think this is so helpful is that if the gospel is true and Jesus is real and heaven is coming it's really fine to make decisions that people who don't believe that think are weird or even wrong. Now you should always be open to advice and wisdom but in the end people who don't trust Jesus may not understand decisions you make on the basis of him being true and real. You may even get misunderstanding or disapproval. And that's because people who aren't Christians often don't really get what we're saying. The people who are in your life who are not Christians or just churchgoers, they probably think being a Christian is a hobby, a bit like fishing, I've put up there, or stamp collecting or hockey. And they generally think you're a sort of normal person and you just have these funny, niche beliefs and activities added over the top of your normal life, coming to church or whatever. So they can't really see why that should have anything to do with them, whereas Song of Songs has shown us repeatedly that knowing Jesus is much more like being married to someone. It is in fact being married to someone. Song of Songs suggests that marriage itself, which is the most permanent, transforming relationship we are capable of choosing is itself invented to point beyond itself to the way that Jesus loves Christians. So if people around you are sort of like chafing against your choices, what they're really asking is, why should I have to make room for your hobby? Why should I have to change the expectations for your life because of your funny beliefs? But they probably wouldn't think twice if you said oh you know i'm going to move city or make a big decision or change my life because i'm married to someone and that's the category that being a christian is actually in now i'm not blaming anybody we can't expect people aren't christians to uh, believe the things that we believe and studying song of songs has made me see that i'm often getting that wrong but the book is about helping us move our relationship with jesus into that category What we are being offered by Jesus is to be loved deeply and fully. It's life transforming. It's a marriage-like commitment. He gives us all of his riches. We get this partner in life who does not fail, who does not hold grudges. As we said a couple of weeks ago, there's only one person in all of history, Jesus, who is qualified to make any judgments on anyone. And we are, as Christians, united with him. When we go to him to find out what his judgment is of us, we find him looking on us with love and kindness and grace, whatever mess we're bringing to his door. He is a safe place to stand, a sure place to gain a sense of self, and we need to learn to think his thoughts about us ourselves. He thinks we are a dove. We are pleasing to him. He is delighted to be in relationship with us. And so we are committed to him. And so being loved that way will be utterly, disturbingly, weirdly life transforming. It is not a hobby. This love is, we're going to learn today, stronger than death, unquenchable, passionate deep, therefore you cannot be loved like that and be unchanged. But people around you won't get that. This transformation will be strange to them, but it is simply the transformation of being loved in this amazing way. What I think you'll find is, we talked about this as interns too, your decisions may get on their nerves, you might find that. But also, they won't be able to really deny the way that you, being loved by Jesus, is helping you, as it says in Song of Songs, rise like the sun if you're really being loved by him, glowing with his love. And that's where we start in today's passage as we reach the end of this story of the peasant girl and the shepherd king groom. This is the first thing we see today. She is transformed. I was talking to a friend I hadn't seen for a while last week about her son. He had always felt awkward at school. She said he used to hang his head when he walked. He backed out of social situations. She said he sort of followed uh, more impressive, cooler people about, like a sort of puppy. But now he's gone to university and she said he's found his tribe. He's had the confidence to go and live abroad in another country. He's walking tall. He's going on adventures. He is, she said, like a different person. Well, the story of this romance in Song of Songs, the peasant girl's sto- story, which started with her longing for her lover, dreaming of being included in his life, being married and united with him, then the break in their relationship, then her return to find him always just there loving her, and his poetic announcement of her glory in his eyes, it's turned her into a different person. Chapter eight, verse five. This is what her friends say about her. They're like the chorus, the watchers of this story. And they say, who is this coming out of the wilderness, leaning on her lover? We don't recognize her anymore. She's utterly transformed because of this relationship. She is, as my friend would say about her son, like a different person. Now, there is a reference here to another bit of the Bible that the original hearers would have got. Israel, the nation in the Old Testament, they were sent to wander in the wilderness for years because they ignored God, their great lover and husband. had promised himself to them and so this picture leaning on her love coming out of the wilderness is a picture of Israel saying the wilderness years are over. She's met him in the desert and now she comes beautiful, glowing, utterly transformed when she's united again with the God who loves her. And that's also a picture Of the church, by which I don't mean a building or even this church, I mean all the people in history who've ever trusted Jesus. A few weeks ago, we had some baptisms. Sorry, Alex, should have asked your permission to use that photo. Uh, uh, And a baptism is a picture of what it is when you trust Jesus. And we were learning about how when you trust Jesus, your old life literally dies. And you come out of the wilderness that desert of life without God, utterly leaning on Jesus, and your life is transformed. You've literally died and been given a new life. We could have said on that day, who is this coming up out of the water? It's a different person, leaning on Jesus. And the spiritual truth, you are transformed, is actually seen in your life. Your friends, as in this story, will be able to see it now. Many Christians uh, feel frustrated that that's not true enough. I wish I was more transformed than I am. And we saw last week that feeling, it's a good feeling. It's a right feeling. It's part of the bride's right response to say to the groom, oh, if only there were more ways I could display love for you. Because she's so overwhelmed by him. That feeling that transformation is slow and a battle and not what I wanted. I wish there was more. That's good. That's a sign that you love Jesus. But as in the song, I think you'll probably find it's your friends that notice it. Ask an honest Christian friend how you are growing or changing. Also ask them, by the way, how you still should grow or change. Ask your spouse if you think your marriage can take it. I bet those people close to you, like the people here, will say, "Oh, from before you're a Christian till now, chalk and cheese. Who is this? Who's come out of the wilderness leaning on Jesus?" And the important call of Song of Songs is saying that that transformation we long for doesn't come by seeking transformation. The bride never tries to be a different person than to the way she was before. That doesn't feature at all in the story. Her coming to the groom and saying, Oh, I wish I could be transformed. Could you transform me? No, it's when she meets and knows she is loved. It's like electricity through her. Suddenly, she begins to glow. She's had all her uncertainty dealt with. How much of our lack of transformation is because we're insecure, we're wondering who will love us, will we be okay? And we look into the face of the powerful king and find love and words of affirmation and joyful union with him. We're transformed, not by trying to be transformed, but by knowing and experiencing his love for us. Or how much of our lack of transformation is that we're grasping, we're grasping for more than we have. And then we look into the face of the groom who has everything and says, it's all at your disposal. We're transformed by knowing that. Maybe the things you know you would like to change are just feeling lonely or down or useless. We saw the bride feeling all of these ways in this story, and she discovered the groom is easy to find. And when you find him, he's always ready to welcome you in failure with love, with admiration. He sings a song of your strength in returning to him. The story is that she is transformed, her friends don't recognise her, but not by seeking transformation, but by enjoying and knowing and dwelling on and basking in that she is totally loved. Maybe you felt a little pang when I told that story of my friend's son finding his tribe and walking tall. Maybe in life you feel like, when will I find my tribe? When will I find the people who I really fit in with? But listen, finding your people, that is only the faintest echo of transformation on offer than when you discover you're loved by Jesus. There's this verse someone reminded me of this week actually, a training event I was at, but it really sums this up Um, a verse in Galatians in the New Testament where Paul says this, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, and I love this bit, who loved me, who gave himself for me. Christian spirituality is knowing and reflecting and really believing and enjoying that he loves you, You know, he, he, uh, he loved me and gave himself for me like I get in on this too, wow, that's being a Christian, that's how you live the life in the body, you know it's not a passing thing, oh I knew once God loves me but now I've got to do hard work, no, the life I live in the body, that is every day, I live by faith, by trusting he loves me. He gave himself for me. That is the way that transforms how we think about people, about life, about everything. That love is the best. The best possible love. And that's the next thing we're going to see. because what the bride goes on to talk to. She is transformed by the strongest love. As she can walk out of the wilderness, leaning on her lover, looking back on how this love is transformative on her, she says to him these lovely words, you will find them in verse 6 and 7. You may have heard them read at a wedding. They're good wedding words. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. It's actually more, the translators are trying to help us out there, it's more uh, sort of vigorous than that. She's not saying, make me like a seal on your heart. She actually says, set me as a seal on your heart. Like, make me the seal of your heart. Now, what is a seal? That's a picture that I found on the internet. It's not a seal, the swimming kind, <laughs> obviously. A seal was like a badge or a mark that identified you. So you like stamped it on stuff to show letters were for you. And you wore it on your armor put it on your armband to show who you are and the family you belong to. So do you get what she's saying? It's incredibly demanding. She's saying, wear me to show who you are. I want to be your identity. I am demanding, she says to the groom, to be indispensable to you. So, combine us together, she says, that what happens to me happens to you. That is an incredibly and potentially suffocating demand, isn't it? Wear me so that when people see me, they see you, and when they see you, they see me. Why is she making this huge, all consuming demand? Well, she says because the incredible strength of the love that's being talked about. She says, love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. Now, that is a weird thing to say, because it's true that nothing is as strong as death. Death hangs over life, and you can't fight it if it's coming. There's no negotiation with death. You can't partially have someone back when they've died. But she says, the love this bride and groom have is stronger than the grave. Well, that cannot be about human love, can it? The grief that people feel when they're widowed is real. But God's love in Jesus, that love is stronger than death. No matter how deep your passion for someone is now, that will be ended cruelly someday by death. And no matter how much you love them, your love will not bring them back from there. That is a painful truth. Many people are walking in it. But God's jealousy, Jesus' jealousy for the church, that is stronger than the grave. I love the way it says jealousy, by the way, because um, sometimes people want to be vague about this especially at funerals, people talk about generally this person has gone into the loving light of God and we all know we are all just comforting ourselves we don't really know what's happened to them and it's not comforting to us to have platitudes. There's no reality there, no but this jealousy, this personal devotion and passion God has for people who have trusted Jesus, the people he's actually married to, And chosen to enter a relationship with, that is stronger than the grave. Death will not defeat his passion for his people. Recently, I was watching a TV adaptation of a thing called His Dark Materials. I don't know whether you saw that. Very anti Christian writer, Philip Pullman. Uh, doesn't like Christians or anything they stand for. And he thinks he's putting in a lovely, better version of death than the Christian version, which is when you die, you dissolve into dust and you sort of become one with the cosmos. Well, whatever the truth of that, well, whatever the truth of that, there is no truth in that. Whatever you think of that, in his view, love is not stronger than the grave. Because you've dissolved, you've gone. There's no person left to love when you've died. The Christian view, Jesus' view, is that death, the final enemy, the result of a broken world away from God, death is always wanting to pull you away from God under the rule of sin, but this passionate possession God has of you in Jesus will not let death, even death, pull you away. The fire of that, the bride says, cannot be put out. And if you make the choice to give that love up that is stronger than death in order to get something else, she says, you're stupid. We'd all laugh at you if you did that. Rightly so. The Beatles said you can't buy love. They were quoting Song songs. There is no worth higher than being loved by this. So whatever is tempting you to give up being loved by Jesus in this way, we should laugh at you if you do. Set me as a seal, she says, make me indispensable to who you are. This, whole, this love is so emotionally filling and overwhelming and good and eternal and unstoppable. What I want is to be totally included in you. Now we actually talk a little bit about this when we do marriage preparation in church between two people. We do say when you get married it is like a total identity change. You will always be the person now who made those promises to that person and that will change you forever no matter how, what happens. But no human person can cope or should have to cope with our demand to be known simply by being loved by them. That would be an unhealthy marriage where you were like, make me your identity. So we might think, how could we say that to Jesus? But Jesus is not a normal human being. His love is deep and wide, unquenchable and fiery. He can take all your struggles for identity, all your insecurity all you're needing to belong to someone, he has love enough for that and plenty more. And when you really see him what you long for is almost to be consumed by his passion for us and to want that from him is good. And we get to say this bold thing that she says, Jesus make me indispensable to who you are. How can we say that to Jesus if he's perfect? Well, it's Jesus actually himself who says it about the church. He says the church is his body. Your body is indispensable to who you are. Jesus' body is indispensable to who he is. That's literally what he says. And every single Christian is important to that in the way they are made. The Bible could not be more clear. You bring in how you are how you are made an indispensable something to the body of Christ. And that's how closely he identifies with you. He says you're his body. I love it. In Colossians, it says these amazing two things together. Everything was made by him and for him. It's pretty good, impressive. And then the next line it says, he is the head of the body, the church. So he is utterly glorious and beyond compare but includes us totally in him. So if you long for the love where you are indispensable to someone, he has given us that. He is the head of the church and every Christian belongs there and every Christian has a role to play because of who they are. And it's not functional, it's not like, yes, you've got some gift we need to get the job done. So go and do your part. Song of Songs shows us it's because he loves us he makes us indispensable. Every Christian is a seal on his heart. A seal on his arm. He is not ashamed of us. He is delighted to identify us as an indispensable part of his body because he loves us. That's why if you profess faith in Jesus and then you later walk away from that faith, That's why it's so terrible. That's why it's sad. That's why the Christians around you are totally gutted if you do that. Because we think you're indispensable. That's how he loves us. And the bride says, Given the soul-satisfying, death-defying, intimate, powerful reality of knowing the Son of God, loved me and gave himself for me, whatever you may give up for that is wise. Whatever you choose instead of that is foolish. If you aren't here, the church, the body of Jesus misses something. Okay. Last time for this sermon series, we're going to talk briefly about sex, not graphically, don't panic, I'm giving you the heads up. I don't want to be crass, but our bodies are designed that when desire is raised in us we long for the deepest possible union. We think that's designed by God, now our connection with Jesus is not sexual, but the desire the picture of real, passionate, experiential relationship and the desire to be as close to him, therefore, in a real way as we possibly can. That's true of Jesus. And he, we say to him, listen, you mark me as belonging to you. What will happen is that I will glow and be lifted up and emanate Jesus to the world into a place where I eternally matter to him. That longing that we all have actually to be closely known and identified with someone, that will crush or suffocate another finite human being. But the eternal fountain of love, stronger even than death, is longing for you to have this indispensable relationship for you. He loves you and he longs for union with you. Now maybe you're listening to all of this and thinking, okay, this is all words, I'm just not there, I don't get that feeling about Jesus. Well go back and dwell of song and songs again. That's what this whole book has been saying, allow yourself to feel and express that longing. If you don't feel it, dwell deeply on his glory and his love for you. Hear him express his admiration for what's growing and changing and becoming strong in you. See that only his love is unquenchable by death and do all of that until you are saying to him, place me like a seal on your heart. What I long, Jesus, is to experience closeness and belonging and indispensability, the overwhelming reality of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Read Song of Songs and let it dwell in you until you know you're loved by that. And so we reach the end of the book and it ends in a slightly strange place. Um, The protective friends from the start of the book, they want her to return to them, verses 8 and 9, to protect our young sister. She says, listen, I may have been a young sister once, but not now, I'm mature and I'm ready and I want to give myself totally to the king and so she in 10 to 12 makes this great announcement that she is physically and emotionally mature enough to have this relationship and to say she wants it, to share everything she has with the king. And then the book ends in a strange place, he says, let me hear your voice and she says, let's run away together and you would think then the book would end with they do run away together and live happily ever after but that isn't there. No he says the book ends with him saying speak to me and she saying I long to be with you and it ends. It seems inevitable they will be together. But the book ends with an expression of him longing to hear her speak and her waiting for them to be together someday. And I think the Song of Songs ends there because that is where the Bible ends. The end of the Bible is the affirmation that Jesus loves and longs to and delights in hearing the voice of the church. And the church is longing to be united with Jesus in a perfect place. That's how the Bible ends, waiting. I get we have a lot of worries and concerns about the final day, the end of history, particularly if you know lots of people who are not ready for that day. I don't think we should feel bad when we have mixed feelings about that day. It is a frightening prospect as well as a good one. But someone who knows Jesus as he really is will know that what we have now is amazing, a Lord who longs to hear our voice and who lives knowing that and expressing it to God in prayer, giving him our voice. And we'll know that privileged but temporary state of the church. You will know I'm not fully united with Jesus yet, just I'm full of joy and confidence that he hears us. And while we may have worries about the final day, any Christian longs for all of the stuff that is getting in the way of really knowing Jesus to be gone any Christian really feels like I'm tired of battling my sin and myself to really connect with him. I long for the day to enjoy him without fighting and without doubt and without the struggle to believe and to know fully his confidence in me without my sinful self getting in the way and that is where the Bible ends in the book of Revelation with that longing. That's where we are now. Some words from near the end of the Bible, the spirit and the bride say come, so that's us speaking with the Holy Spirit and the bride is the church, and let the one who hears say come. So we're saying everybody should get on with being the spirit and the bride. And then Jesus says let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Jesus is saying in the meantime please keep coming back to me and I love hearing your voice and I will give you this eternal water. that quenches your thirst and then it ends because the final uniting with Jesus is still to come. That desire, frustrated desire, we somewhat all feel now, well, we, our time now is to express it to our groom in prayer. I want to finish by talking about a verse that has come up three times. Uh, it's said three times, the thing that said three times, and it was at the start of our reading today, verse 4. And it's three times in Song of Songs. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arise or awaken love until it so desires. And that verse can be understood about human relationships. It's basically saying, don't get into a deep, intense, romantic relationship if you're not ready for it, because it becomes all-consuming and will take over your life. So it's basically saying to the person it's like, I'm 20 and I'm deeply in love with my girlfriend, but I don't want to get married till I'm 30. Do not do that. Like, don't arise or awaken it until you're ready to follow through. It's an all-consuming, all-passionate thing. How does that apply to Jesus, though? Surely we're not saying to Jesus, about Jesus, oh, don't arise love for him until it desires. But I think we are, because Song of Songs has been saying, We are being drawn into an all-consuming, life-transforming marriage to the God who loves you. If you are welcoming Jesus in, it will, in a good way, it will change everything. Because your life will be flooded with this powerful force that is stronger than death. So the song does say, if you're going to invite Jesus in, That's what you're inviting. Don't be naive. The Song of Songs is an invitation. An invitation to look into the face of the only real ruler there is, and see him loving and desiring you. If you long for that love, then awaken your desire.